Well, it's 2016, new year started. Like Stuart talked about, all those New Year's resolutions roll on out. Who's already broken the New Year's resolutions? <laughs> Who just realised that they're, they're old, old enough and wise enough to know that they're going to break them so they don't make them in the first place? <laughs> I know I've said it before, and I got shut out of saying it this year, but the most effective way actually really with goal setting is to actually set them in October and to give yourself two months to actually process them down to reality. All right, because you know that goal to be able to lift 200 kilos, you know, by February, starting in January, it wasn't really going to happen, right? So you work that down to yeah, I'll lift 10 kilos in February. <laughs> Those sort of things. Just just a tip there, a bit of a management tip. Get that one for free. The rest you have to pay for. Anyway, it's 2:16, and. I really want to share with you a little bit of where we're going to focus this year and especially over the next couple of months and what I really believe that God wants to do with us and to really have us hit in on as a church because there's, there's sort of two approaches to Christians, there's many approaches, but there's sort of two approaches that really come to Christianity. There's the whatever God wills will happen and that's just how it is and the other side is that God's given us responsibility and accountability to be able to actually focus in and to bring about His will. And I guess I'm more in the second camp than I am in the first camp because if God's will always happened, then Adam and Eve would not have sinned and everybody would be going to heaven. If you think about it. Because it was not God's will for Adam and Eve to sin and yet they did. It is God's will, the Bible clearly tells us, that everybody be saved, yet not everybody is. So that says to me that not all of God's will happens. Just because God willed it doesn't mean it happens. And the reason behind that is that He's given us a responsibility to actually bring about His will. Does that make sense? So it's really easy to sit back and go, Well, if God wants it to happen in my life, then it'll happen. Actually, that's not necessarily true. You know, and if something happens, oh, it must have been God's will. No, that's not necessarily true. It's very fatalistic. And it absolves us of responsibility of actually interceding and standing in the gap for people and for God to do what He wants to do in our life. It takes the responsibility out of our hands and says we have nothing to do with it. It must have been God. But that's not what the Bible says. You know, things like Mark eleven twenty three says that you can speak to this mountain, and we'll look there a bit later, and you can command it to be cast in the sea, it'll be done. It's not that Jesus will speak to the mountain. It's not that God will speak to the mountain. It says you. And the next verse says that whatever you pray, if you believe it, then it'll happen. And then you go over to John and and Jesus said constantly, he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want and it'll be done. These verses tell me that we have a responsibility. We have an accountability before God. And it says we're going to get to heaven and we're going to answer for everything that we've said. So be careful what you say. 
and that we're going to have to give account for our lives. Now, if everything just happened because God wanted it to happen, then why would we have to give an account? Because it wouldn't be our responsibility, it would be God's, wouldn't it? But God has given us a responsibility and an accountability for what we do with our lives. I'm sorry, is this too heavy for the start of the year? <laughs> Did you want something light and fluffy? Life's too short to be light and fluffy all the time. Yeah? As one wise, one wise guy said, he said, you know, he said, you know, there's a time to work and a time to play. And if you're playing first, you have to work later. And if you work first, you get to play later. That's true, isn't it? You know, if you put off that thing and I'll just watch TV, I'll just hang out with the PlayStation, I'll just go and have fun, put off what you need to do, put off, eventually there comes a time where you have to do it, right? You know, anyone studied here? This was like when you study. You put off that assignment, you put off that assignment, you put off that assignment, and suddenly you're no longer playing the night before, you're writing the assignment, right? And all the students said, yeah. <laughs> What's that got to do with this year? It's got everything to do with this year because I believe there's two areas that God really wants us to focus in on and those two areas we have to work at. Those two areas we have to put some effort in, we have to focus in on, and we have to push in. Right? God has already given us a victory. It's a bit like, it's like an occupying force. You know, there was, there was D-Day. All right, and that day turned the war in the Second World War. All right, the whole world changed from that point on because essentially victory was there. And even on VE Day, where they really had the victory and everything else, there was still an occupying force in that land. And that occupying force carried out the victory, it stopped the enemy rising up again. And that's how we are. We actually already have our victory in Christ. Jesus has already won every victory we ever need to win. But our job is actually to be the occupying force that carries out that victory. Because we're here to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, which was God's original plan with Adam and Eve. He gave them Eden, which was a little bit of heaven. And their job was to spread Eden all over the world. In fact, all over the universe, I believe. But when they messed it up, they lost the authority. Jesus took back that authority, and now he says to us, go and walk in that authority. But to walk in that authority, you know, when you became a Christian, you didn't enter a hospital. You entered an army. Did you know that? Sometimes we see church as a hospital, as a place where we come and get healed, and we do. But the focus on church and, and becoming a Christian is not to get healed. The focus is to actually make you a disciple of Christ. And a disciple of Christ is a warrior. Not W-O-R-R, warrior. W-A-R-R, warrior. As in you've entered an army. And we're here to carry out the will of God. The Bible says that, that the kingdom of that, that hell is taken by force. The gates of hell are taken by force. Why do I take the gates of hell? Because when you're at the gates of hell, you stop people going in. Isn't that our job? Are you with me? I feel like you're sort of waiting for a punchline. 
You know, what's the catch? What are you asking us to do? Nothing yet. Anyway, does that give context to what I want us to do this year? Because what, there are two things I want us to focus in. All right, that's my preamble. The two things I want us to look at this year is I really want us to focus on winning souls for Jesus. All right, I believe that the word for this year that God gave me was increase. That this is a year of increase. That God wants to bring increase into this supernatural increase. That where you have lack, God wants to bring increase. And the two areas I really believe He wants us to focus in is increase in seeing people saved and in church being disciples of His. You can get excited about that later. Let us sink in, all right? The problem with Christians when it comes to people getting saved is we all go, oh man, that means I've got to go evangelize. That means I've got to share my faith. What is the reluctance we have in church to that? It's like using the E word, evangelism. And people, people shy back. But think about it. If somebody didn't share their faith with you, where would you be? What would your life be like if you didn't have Jesus? Isn't that worth sharing with somebody else? Isn't that worth sharing with a whole lot of somebody else? You don't have to be a great speaker to share your faith. You just got to tell your story. So don't be afraid of evangelism. It's just telling your story. Telling people what Jesus has done for you. So I believe that's the first area. The second area I believe he wants to see increase and breakthrough in is in finances. And the finance thing is, is where I actually want us to spend the next probably four, maybe six weeks. Who knows, maybe longer. Just looking at that. Now, finance is a funny area. Because when you talk about money in church, people do one of two things. Or one of three things. One, they get excited and go, yay. Not very many people do that. Secondly, a lot of people get offended. Because you shouldn't talk about money in church. I'm not sure why. Or thirdly, their reaction is, what do you want? How much are you wanting? And so it became a taboo subject in church. In fact, if I think back to about the first 20 years of my life, I actually can't remember a sermon on tithing in my first 20 years in church. I'm not saying one didn't happen, but I can't remember one. I can't remember a sermon on money at all in the first 20 years. That's probably not a good thing. Because, you know, the thing about money is it has an amazing impact in our lives. If you read most research, they'll tell you things like, Divorce and broken relationships, a lot of those come around two things, money and communication. And usually the communication is over money. So if money is one of the biggest breakup issues in relationships, then isn't it important? And shouldn't it be important for us? I also read other stats that tell me that one of the greatest stresses people have in their life is their finances. 
is bills, is debt, is their job. In fact, losing your job is up there in the top five stresses of all time. So that says to me that obviously money and finances are important, yeah? And so if they're important, don't you think we should talk about them? Because you know what? Some guys did some research and apparently they said there are over 2,300... Sorry, Val's just breaking the chairs. <laughs> she fell asleep on the chair. No, not really. <laughs> some guys did some research and apparently there's over 2,300 references that Jesus, the Bible makes to money and finances which is actually more than the references to heaven and hell combined. So if the Bible talks about it that much, it must be a little bit important, right? But the other thing I find when I talk about money is that a lot of people have a very wrong view of what money means and the biblical view of money. So I want us to actually have a breakthrough in finances because, see, God actually wants you to prosper. God actually wants good things for you. He said, I came to give you abundant life. And a part of that is money. It's not all of it, but a part of it. God doesn't desire you to worry about money. In fact, he says, you know what? He says, don't worry about those sort of things. He says, just seek me first and I'll take care of it. He said things like, I'll supply all your needs. You don't have to worry about them. And yet we do. So I want us to actually see, and I believe this is what God wants for us this year, is to actually go from being in a point where we're worried about our finances, where our money controls us, to actually we control our money. To the point where we're not worried about it. And the biggest concern we have is how we're going to use it to be a blessing. Because God's will for your life is that you can be blessed to be a blessing. Now, usually at this point, someone says to me, oh, but what about people in Africa? You know, they don't have any money, so therefore you can't preach this whole money thing because, you know, it doesn't work everywhere in the world. Actually, yes, it does. The amounts may differ, but it works everywhere in the world. God's desire is that all of his children prosper regardless of where they are. And you can be a Christian in a refugee camp and still prosper. But let me, if it works like this, you can't just sit back and prosper. You actually have to do certain things because you see, it's about faith, but faith has to have works. Because faith without works is dead, Hebrews tells us. Now, if anything like me, when I first started down this journey of, of looking at finances and, and God started speaking about finances and reading about it, my, my background came up, and I have a very conservative church background. That says when it comes to money, look, money is evil. Money is bad. And if you do anything that is desirous of money, then you're evil and bad too. And if you have lots of money, well, that's just bad. That's evil. Now, as a church, we'll go and ask those people with lots of money to give. But if you're in the church and you have money, oh, man. You're on the thin edge. 
But it's not biblical. See, a lot of that comes out of our church, our tradition, <clears throat> that through the period we call the Dark Ages, someone told me the other day, you know, they call it Dark Ages anymore, but I'm telling you, it was the Dark Ages. It was dark because there wasn't a lot of God around. There was a lot of darkness. But during that period, there was a lot of corruption in the church. And the church wasn't really the church. It was more a political sort of group. And the way you, you got to the top of the church was actually you bribed your way into a senior position so you had power. And then when the church would do things like build a new cathedral or maybe just want to raise the income of whoever was leading that particular church, they would do things like they would introduce, this is where things like penance came in. And penance was, you know, if you did something wrong, then you would come and confess to the priest. And rather than just forgiving you, like the Bible says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's all there is to it. But the church would go, yes, but you have to pay a price for your sin because Jesus' price of death on the cross wasn't enough apparently. But it was about raising money. And so they would say to you, you have to, you know, say 45 Hail Marys and you need to donate $1,000 to the church. And then you'll be forgiven of your sin. And that's where penance came in. It actually became a fundraising thing to fund whatever they were doing in the church at the time. Rather than people te- teach, teaching people how to prosper and how to be blessed, it actually became a way of billing people for the church's services. Do you want to be baptized? Sure, there's $100. Want us to pray over your child? That's $1,000. And it went on like this. And that's where... So what happened then was a whole lot of people went, we don't want to be associated with the corruption in the church. So they said, we're going to set ourselves apart from the church for a time. And so they went over here, and that's where things like monasteries came in. Because they would set themselves apart, and they would choose to live a very uh, meager life. So they weren't associated with what was happening over in the corruption. The problem is that when these things come in the church, they become tradition. And so tradition says... Money is bad in the church, which is a lie of the devil. Because the reality is, the more money we have, the more we can do. Does that make sense? You know, we want to do an outreach. We have to sit there and work out how much can we afford to pay for advertising. Do we do 25,000 ads out there? Do we do 50,000 ads out there? And it all comes down to how many thousands of dollars we want to spend. Do we want to promote here? You know, when we're doing Christmas Eve, we we work through all these things because there's a cost involved. It takes money to fund the gospel. Bill Graham worked out, he says it costs about $1,000 a soul to get saved. Because when someone gets saved, someone has to disciple them, spend time with them. That takes material, resources, everything it takes to run a church. It all takes money. So God's will actually is for you to prosper so that you can be a blessing, not just to the church, but to people around you. He wants, see, when you're focused on your own finances, when you're focused on what you don't have, the last thing you're thinking about is sharing your faith. But when you're walking in blessing and you're walking in favor and you have an abundance, then you have an opportunity to take what you have and to use it to share your faith with others. Because when you meet somebody's need, they tend to listen to what you have to say. We proved that just before Christmas. 
And when we opened this place up for free, and people came in and they said, we would not have been able to afford to come here for Christmas. This is a fantastic way for us as a family to come and celebrate it. Why did you do this? And so we get to share why we did this. And we get to share Jesus. You see, it takes money to evangelize. Even if you go down to, you know, you want to hold someone's attention for 20 minutes, buy them a cup of coffee. Then they've got to sit there and drink the coffee. And they have this social obligation to not walk away and to listen to what you have to say. But it still takes four or five dollars. Make sense? God's plan is for you to prosper. And if you're struggling financially, God has a way through. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, step by step, how you can actually see God finance, God prosper you financially, as well as every other area of your life. How you can see financial breakthrough, how you can deal with debt, and how you can overcome it. Because I believe that God has actually had enough of us walking in lack. He wants His church to walk in the blessing so that we can share the blessing. Like he said to Abraham, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing. And that's God's plan for us, to bless us so that we can be a blessing. So let me just go through, does God really want you to prosper? <clears throat> Absolutely. Can I give you the first step in prospering? You have to change how you think. If you're like me, you've got this mentality that grew up throughout your life that says, like I said before, having money is bad. Even being desirous of having money or wanting money in your life is bad. That's actually not biblical. And let me walk through, Ivan's going to put the verses up for me. Let me walk you through several verses that actually say what God says about you and prosperity. So Psalm 35 verse 27 says, this is why it's good to have your Bible in church, you know. She can check out what the preacher is actually saying. That when proclaim takes the time to load it up and take it forever, that you can actually see it on your own thing. <coughs> it's adding in verses there, yeah? It says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Anyone favor God's righteous cause? Okay, let me read that again. Let them shout for joy and be glad. All right, just turn to the person next to you. Take your hand out like this and just bring it in really hard. So it's time to wake up. All right, let them shout for joy. And be glad who favor his righteous cause. Let them say continually. When? Continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has what? What? He has what? In what? Of who? Who's his servants? So that settles it, doesn't it? This is what God says about you. Let God be magnified through your prosperity. Because he has what? Pleasure. Not 
regret, remorse, upset, let me take it away from you, you evil person. It actually says that God has pleasure in your prosperity. It pleases God for you to prosper. That puts it all to rest, doesn't it? It's all there in red and white. I was going to say black and white, but it's red. All right, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. <clears throat> this is what God said to the Israelites under the old covenant. And you know what? The thing about, oh, I love talking about covenants, but I don't have time. But this is under the old agreement, old covenants. We have a new agreement, which Paul describes as better, right? Not worse, better. This is the old one. It says, you should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get what? Now, people spiritualize wealth. Oh, they're talking about spiritual wealth. No, the word there means money and things. All right? Possessions. As he gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as is this day. So under the old covenant, the agreement was that God actually empowers you to be wealthy. Under the new agreement, it's actually even better. Right? So it's the Lord, your God, not the devil. The devil's not trying to make you wealthy. God actually wants to empower you to get wealth as a part of his covenant agreement signed in blood by Jesus Christ. On you, Ben. All right, Proverbs 10, verse 22. Are we okay so far? Are we breaking some religious mindsets maybe? The blessing of who makes one what? Who's blessed? All right, so the blessing of the Lord on you actually what? And he adds no what to it. You know, the other word that goes in there, the actually more accurate word, is actually the word toil. He adds no sorrow, misery, poverty, or toil to it. If you want to translate the word accurately. And the toil means hard work. Right? It doesn't mean you sit back and do nothing. Toil, described there, is hard labor with little results. He adds no hard labor to it. So that's three out of three, right? We okay with that? All right. Three John verse two, because we have the New Testament one just to really prove it out, right? What did he say in the New Testament? He said, beloved. Who's beloved? All right. This is John, the one who leant back on the chest of Jesus. All right, sitting on his island, Patnos, writing his letters. And he says to the church, he's writing to the church, Beloved, I pray that you may want, prosper. In what things? All right, so does that just say spiritual things? 
It actually means in every way and aspect of your life. Material, spiritual, and so on. So you may prosper in all things and be in what? So you don't have to be wealthy and sick. You can actually be healthy and wealthy. Someone said to me, are you one of those health wealth preachers? Well, I'm not a sick poverty preacher. Put it that way. I'm a Jesus preacher. All right? So you pray you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So as you prosper your soul, you enter into this. This is God's Word. I'm not making this up. This is not Philip's thing. This is what God's Word says. Philippians 4.19. We'll finish with that one because I could go for hours. There is a lot that God wants to say about this. And who? Who's got a God? We all got the same God? Is He our God? All right. Same as Paul's God he's referring to here? All right. So our God shall supply some of your needs... Yeah? He'll supply how many of your needs? Who's got a need in their life? Who maybe thinks we should start trusting in God to supply for that need? Because He promised that He would supply all our need according to our riches. According to whose riches? How rich is Jesus? What's the mo- what is one of the most valuable things we have here on earth? Gold. All right, I grew up. I grew up in a gold in a gold town. You know, you go and you can go to the Perth Mint. You can do it here, but you Dan. You you can go and pick up a gold bar. You know, you think, oh, that's so valuable. It's a paving brick in heaven. The thing that we consider oh so wealthy, and we actually measure most of our economy on, is a paving brick in heaven. So how wealthy? Is our God. So you reckon He can handle your needs? You know, they say through the universe, I've never told you this, but through the universe, there's, there's floating all these bits of, you know, these asteroids and, and just basically, you know, leftover bits from planets. And they're actually working out a way they can actually get these bits of these planets that have exploded and bring them down to Earth because they actually worked out that they're worth trillions of dollars because of the mineral content that's in them. Think about it. That's God's leftovers from creation. And just one of those is worth trillions of dollars. I think God can handle our needs, yeah? You see, you have to change. The first step in prospering is you have to change how you think. You have to stop the poverty mindset. You have to lose the lack. You've got to take your eyes off your situation. You've got to take your eyes off what you don't have, and you need to start looking at Jesus. How do you do that? It's really simple. Let me give you very quickly. It's 11 o'clock, so let me give you really quickly three steps. First of all, read your Bible and what it actually says about money and prosperity. And make the Bible your final authority in life. You have to have that approach, that the Bible is your final authority. God's Word says it, that's it. It doesn't matter what my circumstance says. 
It doesn't matter what my bank says. It doesn't matter what my real estate agent says or anyone else. It doesn't matter what my bills say. What matters is what God's Word says. And that is the final authority. You have to take that approach. That's called faith. Because faith is about the unseen, what you cannot see. If you can see it, you don't need faith. Faith is about what you can't see. Step number two, you need to take these verses and others like them and you need to meditate on them. To meditate means to mumble it over, to speak it out, to think it through, to think on, mumble through. So you can mumble it. Oh, God supplies all my needs according to his... There's something about speaking them out that actually gets it down into your spirit and so your spirit rises up and takes control, not your mind. Because as you do that, then your soul prospers. And what happens when your soul prospers? You prosper, according to 3 John 2. So you've got to take them and read them over and over again. When you start to worry, don't worry. Read the Word of God. Pray them out. Thank God that His Word is true. Number three, you need to act like the Bible is true. Now, I always put a caution here. It doesn't mean you go out and go, oh, God takes care of everything, so I'm going to buy myself a Ferrari today. May not have paid my mortgage this month, but hey, I'm getting my Ferrari. All right? That's not wise. That's called stupid. There's no faith in that, just stupid. All right? What you need to do is start to manage your money wisely. Ask God to help you manage your money better. Ask him to show you what he wants you to do with your money. If you're not sure which bill to pay first because they're all there, ask him. Which one do I pay first? And the fourth one is be generous. It doesn't have to be with money, but with everything else. If you have something you can give, then give. If you see someone with a need and you can meet it, then meet it. Don't run yourself broke doing it, but be generous. Because being generous breaks the spirit of poverty and changes how you think. All right? Being generous, it may be something you can do for somebody. It doesn't have to be money. Something you don't use anymore that you can give. Just break that spirit. All right? So first of all, Make the Bible the final authority, that's it. Secondly, read and meditate the verses that are there over and over again, like you would take a pill. We say this, if you've got sickness, you use the sickness. You take the Word of God like you take a pill. We call them gospels. All right? You take them, and you take them, and you take them. We're saying for finances. You take the Word of God, and you speak it. Break the mindset. Your mind will rise up and go, oh, you're being a naughty person because you're focusing on money. Your response is, no, I'm focusing on Jesus because he said I should eat his words, so I'm eating it. All right? And break the mindset. It'll rise up, break it. Three, do something with it. Ask God to help you managing your money. And fourth, be generous wherever you can find a way to be generous. We okay? All right. We don't keep talking about this stuff, so if you don't like it, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Maybe you're in the wrong church. Um, no, not really. We just need to break that mindset, that's all. 
But we actually, like, I mean, Dale and I talked about doing it through January, but I actually think that we'll actually go beyond that because there's a lot of stuff that God wants to say about this. And I think we need to, when you hear the Word of God, it rises faith, raises faith up within us to be able to break through in this area. And sometimes four weeks, just once a week, isn't enough to do that. I want us to actually smash this so that we actually step into what God wants to do in our lives. All right? Um, we'll post some resources on Facebook, the web page, anyone else. Um, we're actually we're pulling our notes out of a guy called George Pearson. Um, did a really great course, 50 Days of Prosperity. Um, we're actually pulling our notes out of his stuff. So we will somewhere in all that find you a link. If you're not on the website or you don't have Facebook, just drop me a text or dial a text and we'll send you the link and you can find it. But you can actually read the notes through for yourself. All right? We're just following their stuff. We're going to teach their stuff because someone's already done the work. I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. And his actual words were, hey, if you want to use this stuff in your church, use it. So we are. All right? Because it saves research. So if you want to actually spend the time during the week going through that, listening to the videos he puts up and actually going through this stuff, you can do that and keep up with it and move ahead with that because God actually wants to break this in our lives. And I'm, I'm keen on us breaking this and just hitting the religious spirits out of here over this stuff so that we can actually be who God, want us, God wants us to be and go forward this year. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're a good God. <clears throat> we thank you that your desire is to prosper us. It is to bless us so that we can be a blessing, so that we can carry your gospel all around this world. Father, you said that you made us to be above and not beneath. You made us to be the head and not the tail. Lord, you even said you made us to be winners and not losers, to be successes and not failures. Father, forgive us where we've had the wrong mindset around money, around prosperity, around finances. And I pray, teach us, Lord. Teach us how to handle what you have blessed us with, with wisdom and insight, that your name is glorified through our lives. We want to bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.